0: Have you ever returned from vacation and needed a few days to recover from what is supposed to be a relaxing experience? That's what I have suffered through for the last two days. However, during my time of true rest at home, I reflected on the trip and it reminded me of an important truth about raising children. Welcome to your parent-teacher conference, where a 24-7 parent and full-time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax, grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. Welcome to your Parent Teacher Conference. This is Coach Cullen, your host. And today I'm gonna be talking about my vacation to Tennessee. It it was actually a great time, but I could not keep up with the energy of my family. And I did need a few days to recover. If you enjoy what you're hearing, I would love for you to share this podcast with a friend. It's the, the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. It can be found on Apple and Spotify. If you saw this on Twitter, please retweet it. If you saw it on Facebook, share it with friends. If you have any questions, comments, ideas for future podcasts, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. So my family has returned from our trip to Tennessee. We rented out a small house in the mountains. That was beautiful, as you Look out, you look to the other side of the Great Smoky Mountains, and now I understand why it's called the Great Smoky Mountains. Because in the morning, you can see, it's like the clouds are coming off the mountains as if it's burning. And just sitting out there with a cup of coffee, relaxing, reading a book. Uh, The book I'm currently reading, and I read most of the trip, is Maverick. It is a biography on Thomas Sowell by Jason Riley, I highly recommend it. It's it's very interesting to see how Mr. Sowell achieved greatness in the field of economics, one of the great American minds of the 20th and 21st century. Now, I could have rested and relaxed the whole time, but I have a young family and they wanted to be on the go. And of course, being the Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge area, there was a lot to go to. We, we you know, My wife, before we went, had this little chalkboard, and she listed all the places that we needed to go. She researched it. We had to go here. We had to go there. We didn't even come close. You can't. You know, I've told people after they asked me what the trip was like, you really have to decide, are we going for the entertainment of the area or the natural beauty of the area? Especially if you only have a few days there. We had five days there. Now, we did go on a hike. But mostly it was the entertainment thing. It's it's known for Dollywood. And I'll I'll tell you what. One thing are the people of Tennessee are just golden. No matter where you went, be it other visitors, be it the people behind the cash register, just so polite, so different than living up here in the Northeast. I, I have basically lived in the Northeast, United States my whole life. And there's definitely a different vibe down there in Tennessee. You get the feeling... They're genuinely glad you're there. So, if you've never been there, Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg is separated by the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. How I describe Pigeon Forge to people is Las Vegas without the casinos. Very gaudy dinner theaters. Like, you could go to Dolly, you know, Dolly Parton, Stampede, and you can eat and watch like a ro- little rodeo. You can go to Pirates, where you can watch Pirates battle it out. You can go to the Hatfield and McCoys, where you fa- See, the Hatfield and McCoys battle it out. I don't think anybody's dying, though. We went to the Pirates one. my wife wanted to go to that one. There is the Titanic there, and it's a large-scale model of the Titanic that you get to go in. There are two buildings that look like they're toppling over onto the highway. There is King Kong climbing a high skyscraper, even. So that's what I mean. Very like the gaudiness of Las Vegas, but no casinos. Now, Gatlinburg is a little downtown area. And I said that's like the New Jersey boardwalk without the ocean. You have the gift shops, you have places to eat, you have bars, you can at night you'll hear music coming out of the bars. So it's very boardwalky, but Again, no ocean. And Dollywood is, you know, my father asked me, what was Dollywood like? Was it like Disney World? I said, no, I would say more like Great Adventure, a little bigger. They have a water park as well. Cleaner, definitely cleaner than Great Adventure here in New Jersey. Just, they do a great job keeping it clean. I don't even, I, I saw the second night, I finally saw a guy with a broom and dustpan. It was near the end of the night, too. But it really wasn't necessary, it seemed like people got the hint that you throw your garbage out in the garbage cans. And one thing that I did not experience in Dollywood, that I experience all the time when we go to Disney World, is people cutting. People, I always called it front seat, back seat, where you send your kids running up onto the line beforehand. And then the parents and the adults work their way through, instead of all arriving to the line together. So now here you're on a line, and you have these like kids in front of you. You turn back. There's about 50 people behind you, and now here come the adults, the parents of those kids, wanting to catch up to those adults. And if some of you might, oh, that's what I do. You know, we don't. I think that's cutting. You know, wait till your whole party is there. That's not fair to the 50 people who are probably families themselves who got onto the line altogether. Didn't see any of that in Dollywood. In fact, if anything, there were several times where you're kind of fighting it out to excuse the other. Oh, no, no, it's you. No, no, no. You know, I remember it happened. We were online for something called a mountain coaster. If you don't know what one is, I'll tell you in a minute because that's part. big part of the podcast is going to be on this. But there, we're online for a mountain coaster. And I walk over to a guy, and we're kind of like standing. I go, is this the line? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I, I got behind them, and they're like, no, 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 we're not, we're not all ready yet to go online. Why don't you get in front of us? And I said, no, 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 you were here first, though. But that's what I mean by it was, there was not a fight. There was just a genuine sense of, hey, get in front of us. It's not a problem. And both of us were doing it. In the end, I realized I was on the wrong line. That was the people who already had tickets. And I didn't have my tickets yet. So we both laughed at that and I went on the other line to get tickets. But in Disney World, I remember having to tell people you're cutting. I mean, they this all the time it was uh I, I just don't like cutting in line. I think you know it's interesting. They've done study of lines. I and mean, of course, you know who's done the most study of lines is Disney World. And I remember hearing this once that people can st- wait up to, I think, an hour and a half without complaining on a line if they know it's fair. People can wait up to an hour and a half on a line without any issues, without any complaining if they know it's fair. And it's that when you see people being unfair, it kind of annoys you. It annoys me. Maybe because I'm a teacher and I, I see it all the time in the in you know schools. I don't know. I don't know. So we went to Dollywood and my oldest daughter loves roller coasters and there was this one roller coaster called Lightning Rod. It is right now the world's fastest wooden roller coaster. I think it hits speeds of like around 75 miles an hour. It takes you from zero to like 45 in two seconds. Come on daddy, come on, it's a wooden roller coaster. You like wooden roller coasters. Okay, I'll go on the road. I hate, I hate rides. Really amusement parks aren't my thing. But, you know, I wanted to keep my oldest daughter happy. My wife didn't want to, you know, she was worried about her back on you know, wooden roller coasters. She's not a fan of them because of that, because of all the jostling. I do like wooden roller coasters. They're fun because of the sound and the, and the, 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 that, that's kind of part of the joy of a wooden roller coaster, think that it's going to fall apart on you. So I went on the lightning rod with my oldest daughter. And I, you know, she was scared. She was scared the whole time. And we did it. It was fast. It big drop. I mean... Turns and we got through it and she she was like, weren't you scared? I said, I'm not scared. It's not that I'm scared of roller coasters. I was sick to my stomach like for the next three or four hours. That's I, I just have motion sickness. I just don't like that feeling after I come off a ride of motion sickness. But I was brave to keep my daughter happy. I won a couple other roller coasters. We didn't do that one again, because she was done. She experienced it, she didn't like it. We didn't have to go back on Lightning Rod. But we did go on another wooden roller coaster they had. As a family, we went on a dark roller coaster, kind of like Space Mountain at Disney World, but it was, you're in a fire house. And there was a roller coaster that we all went on as a family that you were supposedly on a fire engine, racing to a fire and that was fun that that it kind of sends you out and sends you backwards it wasn't too scary my stomach could handle it it wasn't a lot of turns and dollywood at the at the end they do in new jersey there's this small little kitty amusement park called land of make believe it is awesome the rides area i always say it's kind of like a glorified carnival but the the water area the splash area the water park that's there, for what it's for, because little kids. I mean, you're not going to bring a teenager in here. But there are, at the last time I went, there are at least two rides that, plus the lazy river, that a teenager would be okay with. But it's not, death death-defying rides, water rides. But for little kids, if we're talking like ten and under, it's great. It's there's this huge splash area. They have. Um, of course, the Tipping Bucket, they have a couple of the water rides, they have the Lazy River. So if you're ever in northwest New Jersey with a little kid, I highly recommend Land of Make-Believe. But one thing, they and this, thing, this park has been around since I was a kid, like the early 70s. And one thing that has been consistent is when you leave the park, the exit is through the gift shop. Genius. Dollywood does the same thing, how you exit the park is you go through their large gift shop. And of course, leaving takes a lot a half hour to an hour as your young daughters are roaming around the gift shop trying to figure out how to spend grandma and grandpa's money they gave them on the, to buy a souvenir. So like I said, probably my favorite part of the trip was discovering these things called mountain coasters. You get in a little cart and it takes you up on this track up a mountain now you're not going to the very top we're not talking a thousand feet up but you're going up a mountain and then it releases you on the track you are now in control of how fast you want to go down the coaster it has a brake. you have a brake system you push forward to release the brake and go as fast as you want or you pull back to slow yourselves down. They tell you, do not stop, because you don't want to get rammed by the person behind you. And it was great. In terms of my stomach and my motion sickness, I had no problems. It was kind of like driving a car, going around turns, knowing that you're not going to slide off the track. But again, if you're fearful of it, you could pull back a little bit. We went on several of these mountain coasters. It was a great time. I wish they had these things in New Jersey. Probably can't get the... um, the money that you can get down in you know Tennessee and get in this great Smoky Mountain region to make money off of it, but highly recommend if you go down to that area, at least try one of the mountain coasters. They're usually packed, you pay for the ride, you know, basically 10 to 20 dollars usually gets you a ride or two. Now, I told my wife that if we had one in our area, she would have you know, she would see me coming home a little late from school. Every so often, and she would be like, where'd you go? Take a ride on the mountain coaster again? I'd be like, yeah. Now, as I was re- reflecting on the mountain coaster, I realized that riding the mountain coaster reminded me a lot about raising children. Let me explain. The first time we went up in one, my daughters were kind of, you know, kind of worried about it, concerned. They didn't want to go alone. Now, if that's even my oldest daughter who loves roller coasters. So my wife took my oldest on her cart, and I went with my youngest. And the whole time, my youngest, was like, don't go fast, don't go fast, don't go fast. But then the second time we went on, the girls went on their own cart, and my wife and I each took a separate cart up. It was they needed to understand what it was like. They wanted our shared experience, our guidance, you know. They wanted to be with mom and dad who were controlling the speed of how fast they were going down the hill on the coaster. And then they were ready to tackle it on their own. Isn't that like raising a child? There are times, as they're younger, you hold their hand while they're crossing the street. You show them the proper way of crossing the street, right? You you stop, you look both ways, and you go, come on, and you're holding their hand the whole time. Then, as they get older, you realize... It's time to release the hand. And maybe for a while, you walk alongside of them, right? Okay, what do we do? You look both ways. Okay, is it safe? Yes. Okay, let's go cross. And then eventually, you get to the point where they're walking a little bit faster than you because you're old. Trust me, I know the feeling. And you don't have to say a word. They stop. They look both ways. And they cross the street. And that's what I felt like when my daughters tackled the mountain coasters on their own. And then I thought to myself, there's so much about the mountain coaster that we can't change. The track is a certain distance. It has a certain height that it lets you go from. It has a certain amount of turns. There's only so much you can do on a mountain coaster. The coaster itself, right, the cart kind of, You're in the cart. You can only do what the cart allows you to do. You can only go as fast as physics allows you. And there's so much that we need to tell our children about what they are able to do in life. Now, I'm not trying to say we shouldn't encourage them. I think you can do both. And I think that's the worst thing that we tell our kids today, that you can do anything. You can do anything you want. That's actually not true. We're lying to them. Now, before you say I'm an ogre and I'm mean and I'm such a pessimist, I'm not. I'm I'm very optimistic. What I mean is that we all have limitations. We all have challenges. We all do. And how many times do we express that to our children? How many times do we tell them the truth? I was never going to be an NBA basketball player. had nothing to do with my skills. Well, it did. But I chose not to try to improve my skills because I was six feet tall. That's it. You need to be a little taller to be an NBA basketball player. When you start in something in life, you know, this is one thing I try to impress upon my daughters when they're young. You know, kids are already at a young age learning and practicing, be it dance or a musical instrument or a sport. Now, my one daughter has gotten into volleyball in the last year and She went out for a tryout for like a club team. And I asked her how you know how did it go? She goes, okay. And I said, Were you one of the best players there? She said, No. Would you were you one of the worst players there? And she held back for a second. She goes, Yeah. Now, I had one of two things to do to be honest here. I could have said to her, Maddie, I hope you realize after this year trying volleyball, You really don't have athletic ability. You have no good eye-hand coordination. Now, before you say, you would say that to your daughter? Yeah, because I tell her the truth because I love her. I would try to encourage her. Let's find something else you're good at. But I didn't say that, though, because it wasn't true. I, I coached her this year on a rec team, and I don't know a lot about volleyball, but I've been a coach. I've been around the athletic fields a lot. I know when I see a kid improving. I said, Maddie, You've only been at this for a year. You had the one girl, the girl we always said was the best player on our team. Go, She's been playing volleyball for five years. You, Here are some good things about you. One, you have good eye-hand coordination. You always have. Two, you listen to your coach as well. I can tell that by your form, how you bump a ball, how you serve a ball. You're listening to the people who are teaching you how to do it. And I said, I even saw that when you're a swimmer. She used to swim and people used to remark to me that she wasn't the fastest swimmer, but people used to remark, wow, her form is really good. She listens. She's coachable. And as a coach, I can tell you, give me a coachable kid than a star because the coachable kid will do what's best, what I believe is best for the team instead of what's best for themselves. And I told her the one thing she doesn't have right now is the practice. Is the practice time. It's just doing it. I said, even if you don't make this club team, Maddie, if you really want to play volleyball, that should drive you to practice more on your own. Just take a volleyball out. Serve it in the backyard. Bump it to yourself. Set it to yourself. Keep doing those things over and over and over again because that's all that's missing. What is it? Malcolm Gladwell says, it takes 10,000 hours of practice to become an expert in something. And my daughter is on the first few hundred still so there's an encouragement i'm encouraging her to do more but there are limitations if she didn't have good eye hand coordination and i told her just keep trying just keep trying Uh, how am i helping her i may be preventing her from finding out what she's really good at and it may not be volleyball i think it's a good thing to tell our kids take stock of your life and say to yourself, what am I good at? And where do I have struggles? Where do I have challenges? Can I can, are they can they be overcome? Am I limited physically in some way? I, these are all fair questions to get an honest assessment of ourselves, to find and discover what we're really good at, what we're really passionate about. But the coaster reminds us that there are limitations. The track is only so long. There's only so many curves. You have to sit in the cart. And you're limited in what you can do on on the mountain coaster. I mean, we're young. The world is our oyster. We should be telling our students, our kids, try. Try things. Find out what you're good at. Find out what you're passionate about. I highly agree with that. But we should also tell them the other point that you're also filled with challenges and limitations itself. And in fact, even when you find something you're good at, sometimes there is an end date to it. There's a date of expiration. It's okay to say, you know what, I'm going to stop focusing on that to start focusing on this. You know, It reminds me of a quote in the movie Moneyball. If you remember, it was with Brad Pitt, the baseball movie about the Oakland A's, and it's about... Determining talent, right? And there's a great quote from this scout. And he says this about, you know, as you're watching players and trying to determine at 18, are they major league quality players? Are they college quality players? Or are they done? Is high school the highest level they're going to reach? And here's what the scout says. We're all told at some point in time that we can no longer play the children's game. We just don't know when that's gonna be. Some of us are told at 18. Some of us are told at 40, but we're all told. Yes, as children, they should have a wide array of opportunities to try. Athletics, the arts, technology. But eventually, they're going to need to make choices and focus on that which they have a passion for that which they have a skill set for, that which they can put their 10,000 hours into. The other fact that I learned about the mountain coaster is that there are rules you have to follow to have a safe ride, right? We're in control of how fast we go down the mountain. At the same time, there are rules that we need to follow to have a safe ride down the mountain. You have to be buckled in. Don't have your cell phone out. Don't bump into the person in front of you. Don't come to a full stop on the track. That way it keeps the ride safe for yourself and the other people who are enjoying the experience. And it reminded me of this truth. Kids need boundaries. And that's a truth that we need as parents. And that's a truth that we need as teachers. Now, one of the things I'm going to speak out against today is something that really developed out of the philosophy of a French enlightenment thinker named Rousseau. He's the guy, if you remember at all your Western civilization, that said, man was born free, but everywhere is in chains. And it's the idea that when we're allowed to freely express ourselves, that's when we're at our freest. And society is what brings evil. The evil is the constraints that society places on us. I mean, up until that time, typically from the church, um, even Thomas Hobbes thought this, that we are born with a propensity to do wrong. We do things wrong. We don't get taught how to do something wrong. Wrong or evil or sin, whatever you want to call it, comes from inside of us. Rousseau's view is that, no, you're good. It's society and it's boundaries that make you do bad things because you're not free and it's this let's say angst that makes you act in ways that society itself says are wrong. So we've seen this push now in parenting and in education circles to give children more freedom to express themselves. In the classroom how we see this is you know the teacher is no longer the sage on the stage that it is not a teacher's classroom, it is everyone's classroom, to have a democratic vote on the different laws that the classroom will have, that we will expect children to always do what is right because they're born naturally good. But is that true? I remember being in a discussion with this teacher who strongly believed this. He felt that you let the kids choose what they want to learn. Let them set the classroom rules. If we allow them that freedom, they will do what is right. And I said, okay, so you're going to have them vote on what, how the classroom will run, what they're going to learn? Yes. And I remember saying, what happens if they vote that they want you to tell them um, what's going to be taught and the classroom rules? And his response was, now you're being silly. But, but uh, was I being silly? I wasn't being silly at all. That's a choice they can make. It happens every night around dinner time at my house. I ask my wife, what's for dinner? And if she goes, I don't know. What do you want? We're both passing the decision on to the other person. It happens all the time. It's a choice that those children can make. They can actually say, you know what, we trust your judgment. That's why we're going to give it over to you. So how we see this idea is that we need to give the child freedom, the freedom to choose what is right. We should not put rules and laws, because usually these rules and laws are just society, they're cultural norms almost like we need to deconstruct our society down to its basic roots. And what we'll find there is a good child. We'll find good people. But I always think this, isn't this just another form of chains that just somebody else is choosing the chains? You need to deconstruct. Okay, so how are we going to reconstruct things? Well, so let's, let's look at, and if you don't believe this is what's going on and this is, not being taught in education classes at rutgers university my state's university there is the childism institute let me read from their website what childism is and what it's all about what they're seeking to do childism is like feminism but for children it has emerged in the academic literature as a term to describe efforts to empower the lived experiences of the third of humanity who are children through the radical systemic critique of scholarly social and political norms Beyond including children and young people as active social participants, childism also challenges and transforms the historically ingrained adult-centered assumptions that underlie children's systemic marginalization in the first place. It functions analogously to terms like feminism, anti racism, womanism, post genderism, post colonialism, decolonialism, environmentalism, and transhumanism. As such, it provides a needed critical lens for deconstructing adultism and patriarchy and reconstructing age inclusive reachers and societies. All right, let's break it down. Let's deconstruct this. First of all, it's, it's far left, okay? It's progressive, hyper and progressivism as they throw in all the isms in there. So we'll include. What they are, okay? What they want to teach your child is if you have things that are shaped on your cultural understanding, they want to get rid of it. They want to promote, let's, in Rousseau's terms, they want to promote their own chains. They hear, we have the knowledge. They, your kids, want to be with all these isms, but do they? Or is that their adult assumption? You see... When I look at things like this, I always ask myself, can their argument be used against them? In this case, yes, it can. Here's a bunch of adults telling kids what's best for them. How is that any different to what they say they're fighting? And what are adult-centered assumptions and systemic marginalization? Is that a parent saying the word no? No, you shouldn't do that. No, I, I question what you believe. Is it parents giving people an alternative view or is it parents saying there are consequences to taking that action you want to take? Another thing of giving children this much sovereignty is which what they're trying to do and who are they trying to become sovereign of? Their parents, let's be honest. That's exactly what they're shooting for here. But it doesn't even make sense scientifically. As we know, the prefrontal cortex continues to develop in children till about the mid 20s. Now what are the what is the prefrontal cortex in the brain? What's its you know function? Complex decision making, planning and organization, impulse control. You know, you ever wonder why teenagers take risks? They have their impulse control isn't developed. Emotional reactions I mean, it might sound good. Yeah, I agree. We're, you know, childism. Yes. You know, a rage against the parents. Every kid's like that. We're we're forming towards adults. And most kids, as they mature, they realize all those times when their parents are saying no to them, they realize they did it out of love. It's only a child that doesn't grow up real thinks that it's always the parents were coming down hard on them for no reason. Okay, so impulse control, emotional reactions, focusing attention, prioritizing, um, competing information received all at once, the ability to ignore external distractions. So there's a lot of things going on in the child's brain that's developing, but yet we're saying, or the Childism Institute is saying, I I should say, because I don't say this, hey, give kids more freedom. Are their brains ready for it? I mean, it seems like the 18-year age of saying that's, the, the mark of adulthood, is pretty close to the mark, right? If, it, if by the mid-20s, most of those prefrontal cortexes are matured, then it seems like that culture in the past has done a good job, right? Because 18, after like the like what 70s, right? It was 21 before that. It seems like our ancestors realized the age where... That prefrontal cortex became more mature without even realizing it. They it just, they probably just realized it through experience. Now the reason I'm bringing this up and this talk about mountain coasters is, if there's a childism institute, you know they're pumping out research on what they on their chains that they want to chain your child up in, just like and I'm using that term because that's exactly what Rousseau would say or what they would believe you're doing. By raising your child in the culture and the beliefs that you want to raise them in, you know that those ideas against your raising your child is going out to educational schools throughout the country. And from this academic special interest group, it will get down into the university and from the university into the students and into the students as they go out to teach into your child's classroom. So it's something to be aware about that that is out there. In a sense, they're trying to bring in their morality in the classroom. But i got to be honest, parents, the family, should be the core of teaching morality. I didn't just put my kids on the mountain coaster and say, go ahead. And I I didn't go to the attendant. Do not tell them any of the rules. they got to figure it out on their own. Let them be sovereign. If they want to surf down it on, on top of the cart, let them do it. Give them that freedom. No, of course not. Nobody would do that. Tell them the rules. They went down with us. We showed them how it worked and operated. That's what families do. And I think the main point that families do is pass down their cultural experiences, their cultural beliefs. Just because I think childism is a wacky idea and not based in reality, it doesn't mean that I don't love my children. I am prepared to get them mad at me when I tell them no. That's not a good idea. Now you may buy into childism. That's fine. I don't agree with it, but that's but if that's what you want to raise your children in, that's fine. But I don't think a school should decide for us that it should be we're gonna promote the ideals of childism. I mean, each of us teach our worldview to our kids. For my family, it's based on Christianity. We believe that when they look outside, they, they see a world created by God. And they realize that they're created by God. They're created in the image of God. They're a special creation. There's something special about humanity. The idea that they're created in the image of God gives them value. At the same time, they also realize they choose to do things wrong. We all choose to do things wrong. Every one of us. It's not society that we're victims of. Often, we're the perpetrators. Sometimes we're the victims when other people choose to do wrong to us. But there are times that we choose to do wrong to other people. And in those times, we also know in my family that we believe in a God of grace and mercy. And because God has shown us grace and mercy, we need to show other people grace and mercy. I don't want them to see the world as a constant conflict of people trying to chain them up against what they truly want to do. I want them to see a world of love where they can express love and showing mercy and grace and compassion to other people just as they have received that themselves. But part of that is taming what's inside of us that doesn't want to express those ideals. What are you telling your kids? There's, it's not a vacuum. Somebody is telling your kid a worldview. It could be in the classroom, it could be through TikTok videos, it could be their friends. Somebody is teaching your kid a worldview if you're not. And if you're a parent out there, I would highly recommend to think to yourself, what are the values that I want my child to have? And start enforcing it at home. It would be like going over the rules on that mountain coaster. The mountain coaster has a track. Your kid can go as fast or slow as they want. They have some decisions to make, but they need some guidance. Give them that guidance. And that way, when it's finally time to send your child up the mountain coaster on their own, you can be confident they will achieve the best ride possible for themselves. Thank you for joining me on the Parent Teacher Conference Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this podcast with friends. They can be teachers, they can be parents, they can be someone who's just interested in education and parenting. If you have a comment, a question, or an idea for a future topic, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast 411 at gmail.com. PTC Podcast four one one at gmail.com. Remember, A good teacher cares deeply for their students, but good parents love those students, their children, deeply.